Tailgate Sunday. We, we're glad you're here. You could be anywhere in the world, but the fact that you're here with us means the world to us. So thanks for joining us. I'm Pastor Anthony. We're going to have a lot of festivities after the day, but this isn't just about football. We want to dive into the Word of God together. So you can turn with me to Romans um, chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We'll get there in just a second. Let me start with a question. How many of you feel like you're winning? You just, you're winning. Come on, you feel like you're winning. Like you just, no matter what, you cannot lose. I mean, you just, you're on a roll, and no, no matter what, you're just, you're winning. You, you feel like you're doing the moonwalk for Jesus everywhere you go because you're just winning. Maybe you would feel like the, the Oklahoma Sooners. I actually did a little research, and I found that the Oklahoma Sooners actually hold the longest NCAA Division I football record. Most consecutive games in a row winning. So, And it's 47 between the years 1953 and 1957. I thought it was going to be the Wolfpack. It was not. Um, but but it was, it, 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 we've got six right now, though that's pretty good. So that's a good, that's a good season. It's, I'm, I'm faith, faithful, thinking about the next week. In advance, faith believing is what that is. But you know, there's probably not a person in the room who wouldn't say, you know what, I, I feel like I need a win. Maybe you feel like you're not winning all the time, but you feel like you're somewhere in the middle. And you would say, I really need a win in this area of my life. Because it's strange how we can do really well in one area only to kind of suffer in another area. Maybe you feel like you're winning on your job and you feel like you're doing really well and you're, you're advancing here and got a little promotion here, got a promotion there and, and sales are up or whatever it is that you do, like you're winning there, but in the relationship department, you feel like you're losing Maybe you're really doing well at home, but you can't put the time that you need to for your career to advance. And so it's, it's like you always have an area of your life where you feel like you, you need to win. Or maybe you're on the other extreme and you just feel like you're losing. And no matter what you do, it's just never good enough. No matter what you do, it's just not working. Maybe you feel like the Northwestern Wildcats. Again, little research finds that they hold the longest losing record, the longest streak in NCAA history. Between 79 and 82, the Wildcats lost 34 games. The Duke Blue Devils tried to beat them out, but they didn't. They lost 22 straight games between 05 and 07. But maybe you just say, I feel like I'm losing. No matter what I do, it's not good enough. No matter what I try, it just doesn't seem to be working. Now, does anybody like stand-up comedy? I love comedy. I love it. I love it. I love it. I like clean comedy. One of my favorite comedians, his name is John Christ. Have you seen this guy? He's got lots of videos online. My favorite John Christ video is what coaches are really thinking when they leave the field. You know, they always leave the field and they put the, put the camera and the microphone in their, their, in their mouth right before halftime. And even though they're like getting slammed, they still have to say something positive. I want to know what they're really thinking. Let me ask you. If somebody stuck a camera in your face and you had to say what you were really thinking, what would you say? I mean, we say some positive things to try to make ourselves feel better, right? But, but if somebody really put a camera in your face and a microphone and said, you get really honest, you might say something like, you know what, I'm doing my part, but she's not doing hers. 
Like, I know our marriage is struggling, but it's not because of me, because I'm doing everything I know to do, but I can't do this on my own. Like, this is, this is on them. Or, or maybe you would say, you know what, I'm tired of working myself to death, and, and, and I'm doing everything I can do to get ahead, and no matter what I do, it just doesn't seem to work. I'm tired of putting everything I have into making something work, and it just doesn't ever turn out the way that I think it should turn out. And if you were really honest today, maybe you would say, I'm so frustrated with you. And that's okay, because God's Word speaks to us. See, there's so many promises that we find in God's Word. And, and there's so many promises that, that, that I want to walk in. And oftentimes I read these promises and, and I read things like God works all things together for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. But maybe your reality and what you see in God's Word, like there's some discrepancy here. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But maybe you look at your life and you don't think, man, I don't feel like I have such an abundant life. I'm struggling right now. Here's what I want you to see. I think to live out the promises of God, we've got to understand we have to follow God's pattern for our lives. The Word of God is our blueprint for living. And the only way that we're going to be able to see God's promises fulfilled in our life is if we follow that pattern. And the only way we follow that pattern is to, to get in God's Word to see what it says. The only way to get God's Word inside of you is for you to get inside God's Word. So let's see what His Word says. Romans 12 and 1, the Apostle Paul writes to the Church of Rome, and even though he's writing a letter to the Church of Rome, it's very applicable and relevant for us today in 2000, what year? 18, okay, a little confused by that. And so, dear brothers and sisters, Paul says, I plead with you. Like, I beg you. I'm, I, I, one translation says, I beseech you. I'm asking you to give your bodies to God. Because of all that he has done for you, and let your life, let it be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he finds acceptable. This is the only true way that we can worship him. What does it mean to give our bodies to God? Because we often say if you want a personal relationship with Jesus, you have to invite him in where? Into your heart, right? So I, I got to love the Lord God with all my heart. And we talk about the heart. We got we to gotta invite the Lord into our heart. We got to give our heart to Jesus. And now Paul is saying, you got to give your whole body to Jesus. It's not enough to just invite him into your heart. Like there's a life that we live as followers of Jesus. And so Paul is saying, let your body, everything about you, be surrendered to God's will for you, to this relationship with him. See, I'm convinced that your body reflects what's happening in your heart. Whatever's happening on the inside of you, it's, it's going to come out. It's going to come out in the things that you say. It's going to come out in the things that you do. I mean, just imagine, like right now. I mean, some of, some of us, like we've not really gone public with our faith. We'll, we'll do that here, and maybe you were even baptized, and you made a public profession of faith. Maybe you stand here and worship, but like we got to keep church at church, right? And, and so you don't let that kind of spill over into your work life or in your school life or on your campus. Well, what if all of a sudden the people that you do life with outside of this church discovered you were a follower of Jesus? If you just decide, I'm going to go public with that, I'm going to let people, I don't even care. I'm just going to tell them, I'm a follower of Jesus. Would they be surprised? Or would they say, yeah, 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 of course you are. You don't have to say that. I know that. Because your life, your life shows something different than everybody else. 
or, or would they be shocked by that? Because sometimes if we aren't careful, the life that we live is not congruent with the words that we speak or what we say we believe. In fact, it can, it can actually be conflicting. But our body should reflect what's happening on the inside. If I've invited Jesus in my heart, it should be reflected for the rest of the world to see. Y'all are really quiet this morning. I, I think we do really well at offering parts of our life to Jesus. For some reason, these areas, we hold back from Him. How irrational is it to say, God, I give you everything in my life except this little thing right here. I'm just going to hold this one back from you. Your body reflects what's happening on your heart. He goes on to say, so let your body that you offer to God be a living and holy sacrifice. What's that about? Okay, in Old Testament days, if you wanted to have forgiveness of sin, there had to be shedding of blood. That's how you, you forgave sin. That's how sin was forgiven. And so you would go get this, this lamb or this other sacrifice. You'd bring this animal to the priest. This sounds gruesome. But the priest would, would actually sacrifice it on an altar. And the shed blood was how you were forgiven of your sin. Thank God we don't do it that way anymore. Man, thank Jesus that we have a different way that we can find forgiveness of sin. When Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross, he became our eternal sacrifice. And we still sin and we still mess up, but we receive forgiveness as we accept his sacrifice and we invite him into our heart and into our life. And so Paul is saying, hey, offer your body. Offer your life as a living sacrifice, the kind that he would accept. So Paul's not saying, hey, every time you come into church, every time you come into worship, every time you walk in on Sunday morning, that you just throw yourself down on an altar and offer yourself as a sacrifice. That's not what he's talking about. But he was saying that we worship Jesus by the way that we live our lives outside of this place. The way that we live our life in our schools and the way we live our life on an athletic field or a basketball court, the way that we live our life in our homes and in our workplace, like that is a reflection of what's happening on the inside. And when you live your life for Jesus that way, your life becomes an act of worship. The way you live your life is worship. See, we kind of have this idea that worship is what we do on Sunday morning. Or we come to worship, right? We come to a worship experience and we sing worship songs and we lift our hands in worship. And so it's like, like worship is somehow relegated and crammed into one hour of your week. But Paul's saying, no, 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 let your life, let your life every day, the way you treat kids in a classroom, the way that you treat customers on your job, the way that you treat your parents, the way you treat your brothers, your sisters, the way you treat your spouse, like all of those things, everything in your life, it is an act of worship that you offer up to Jesus. But then he goes on to say, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you what is this idea? Don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world. Here's what's crazy about us. I don't know why we are this way. But for some reason, we are very imitative by our very nature. I don't know why that is. We just, we just default to kind of imitating things around us and things that we see. I, I read this past week that, that we are the average sum of the five people that are closest to us. Now think about that for a second. 
you are the average of the five people that are closest to you. I know what you're doing right now. You're trying to think, all right, who are those five people? You know, who are those five people that, that I am the average of? I shared that with Craig this week, and Craig's response was, I need new friends, man. I got to get some new friends because I, I, I don't want to be the sum of those people that I hang out with. I even read this past week, or someone shared with me this past week, that there's some scientific evidence, all right, I'm not a brain surgeon, but there's some evidence that the more time you spend with people, that your brain waves begin to mimic and imitate the brain waves of those. I don't even know what that's about, like that's Star Trek stuff to me. But like, man, there's something inside of us that hardwired that we try to copy and behave like those around us. I spend a lot of time with this front row. This is my son, his, his squad. And, 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 and some of them were in my truck this week, and, and they were talking, and somebody said something about something being bad, and I was just like, yeah, that's ripping the chat. See, you don't know what that means because you don't hang out with them, right? And, and as soon as I said it... As soon as I said it, like, my dad, my son just looked at me. He was like, no, don't do that. Like, don't even try. Like, don't, don't try. Don't just, I don't know why it is. Like, we just kind of conform. We conform to the people we spend the most of our time with. And, and so scripture says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Why? Because here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. The world systems and God's systems are not always compatible. And if we are supposed to be conforming our life to God's word, and God's word is not compatible with the world's way of doing things, then all of a sudden we are growing further and further and further apart from that relationship with God and his word and what his purpose is for our life. It's this idea that if I try to keep one foot in one world and one foot in my faith and in, in God's word, then, then all of a sudden like those two worlds are growing further and further and further and further apart. It's just kind of ripping us apart, right? And so I've got to make sure that I'm not, I've got to be in the world but not of the world. I've got to be in the world, but I don't have to be of the world. I can be in this world, but I can allow God's word to be my blueprint for living. And what do we want? We all want something to change. We want something to change. And every one of us in this room, there's something in our life that we just wish we could change it. And maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's our job, maybe it's the trajectory of our career, maybe it's our finances, maybe it's our sports team, like whatever. There's something that we want to change, and we just don't know how. But Paul says, let God transform you. How? By changing the way that you think. Let God transform you. By reprogramming your mind, by changing the way that you think. Because we really got some messed up thinking. We really do. We, we get off track and our mind gets in some weird places. And, and if I truly want my life to reflect the image of Christ and, and, and His word in my life, then I've got to let God transform me by changing the way that I think. But that's not the way we default. We typically try to change things because we just want to imitate somebody else's results. We look at somebody else and we think, wow, they've got a successful marriage. Let me figure out what they're doing. What's the, what's the action that they're doing that's giving them that result? I'll just start mimicking that action. Or, or, or let me see what this person's doing in their finances because they really seem to have it all together and I don't. So let me just figure out what they're doing. And that's why we go from one self-help book to another. 
We jump from one self-help book to one program to another, one fitness program to another, one nutrition program. Because we just try to mimic somebody else's results by doing what they're doing. We're just going to duplicate their actions. We'll duplicate their results. And we never quite seem to get where we want to be. And it's because we got to go further than that. It's not just results or action. It's belief, right? There's something I truly don't believe about this. There's something that needs to change in my mind. And when something begins to change in my mind and heart, then all of a sudden that begins to impact my actions and thus my, my results. So he says it's got to start in our minds by changing the way that you think. And then here's the result, okay? And it's what we all want. He says here's what happens. When you do those things, when you offer your body as a living sacrifice, when, when, when you don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world, when you let God transform you and change you by the way that you think, here's what's going to happen. He says, then you will learn to know God's will for you. You'll learn that. You'll begin to see that, and you'll begin to understand. Do you realize as a pastor, that's probably the thing I, question I get more than anything else. How do I know what to do, man? I don't know what to do in my job. I, I've got this decision. I can go left. I can go right. I'm at this crossroads. I don't know what to do in my marriage. Like I know God has a plan. I know he's got a purpose. I don't know how to figure out what that is. And Paul says this is how you figure it out. When you offer your life to God, when you allow him to transform by the way that you think, that's the result. You're going to begin to understand what God's will is. You're going to begin to see that happen in your life. And then he gives this great description about what God's will really is. He said it's good and it's pleasing. And he even uses the word perfect. I don't know that there's much in our life that we can use the word perfect to describe. Think about that. When's the last time that you truly looked at something in your life and went, it's perfect. I wouldn't change anything about it. I mean, my wife, outside of that, like there's not much in my life that's perfect but Paul says when you begin to learn God's will for you it's good it's pleasing and it's perfect and the cool thing about it is you already have everything that you need to figure that out the moment you say yes to Jesus check this out okay the moment you say yes to Jesus the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes into your heart. You have the presence of God on the inside of you. You know, I, I ordered this jersey because I'm a huge Russell Wilson fan. Like, he's my favorite athlete in any sport. And we love Russell Wilson. And I got Russell Wilson jerseys in different colors, and I follow Russell Wilson. He's the only athlete that I care about. When, well, I don't care about really, but I Russell Wilson, man. I will now Russell for Hustle like Russell. Yeah, I like it. And I ordered this jersey. And when I put this jersey on, nothing happened. You know what I mean? Like, I felt a little cooler. You know, other than that, nothing happened. It didn't improve my skills of playing football. Didn't improve my Madden skills. Didn't improve anything, right? It just made me look a little cooler and a little thinner because I don't have to tuck it in so it hides, right? But that's it. It's the only benefit. When you join God's team, when you say yes to Jesus, and when you put on that jersey and you say, I am a child of God, I am walking in step with Jesus, everything changes. 
Because the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. He's given you His Word. He's given you a team to do life with. Somebody who can encourage you and lift you up and pick you up and encourage and pray for you, all those things. He's given you everything that you need to see His will that's good and pleasing and perfect fulfilled in your life. But there's two words, and I close with this, and I don't want you to miss them. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, last part of that verse. Then you will learn to know God's will, what? For you. Those are two powerful words. For you. And I don't know why, but some of us have it in our minds. This is not for us. This will work for him, and this will work for her, and, and, and they can walk with Jesus, but for some reason, I just don't see God loving me that way. And maybe it's because people have told you you're not lovable, or that you're not loved, or maybe it's because you have made some bad choices, and you don't even love yourself, and you don't know how a God could love you. And so for some reason, You've rationalized. This will work for anybody else but you. Here's what I need you to know. It is for you. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. There's a great family in our church, Kathy and Terry Gooch. They lead one of our life groups. Just a sweet family. Kathy let me know recently that her father was not doing well. Doctor said cancer, terminal. He's late 80s, almost 90 years old. And she said, Pastor, if God doesn't heal him, he's not going to make it very much longer. And the reason she was talking to me because he was a pastor and he had been pastor most of her life and He's outlived all his pastor friends. All his friends have gone on to be with Jesus. And she said, so pastor, we don't have anybody to do his funeral if God doesn't heal him and he does in fact die. And she said, so would you mind doing that? I said, I'll help you in any way I can. And, and she said, well, well, I'd like for you to come spend time with me. I want you to get to know my dad. And so this past week, I walked in and I spent time with her dad. I don't know what I was thinking. Like, I guess I had in my mind that he was going to be this, like, guy, like, laying in a bed and not responsive and not mobile or any of those things. Like, I'm just kind of geared up for the worst. And, and I walk in the room, and here's this, like, spry guy who's sitting at his computer eating a sub. And he just looks at me. He's like, how you doing, Pastor? I'm like, well, that's not what I expected. And so I sat down with him and some members of the family, and for about an hour, we laughed. And we talked, and, and he showed me things and, and told stories and, and, and wanted to know where I got my shoes from. He thought my shoes were super cool and then couldn't believe I paid $40 for them. And so, like, we just had the best time. He was a good guy. Man, it was, and it was, it was very impactful. And I looked at him and I said, listen, I know you've been a pastor all over the place and, and you've won a lot of people to Jesus and you've been overseas and you've done all this kind of stuff. I said, but here's what I believe. The best ministry you've ever done is sitting right here beside you. And that was his daughter, Kathy. And then her sister was on the other side, some other people in the family. 
I said, it's obvious to me. I don't know anybody you've ever led to Jesus, but I know these. And this is an incredible young woman of God. And I am I'm super proud of her. And, and, and I just want you to know that, that you've raised an incredible daughter. And then he put his finger up. And he looked at every person in the room. And he just stopped. And he said, you have value. To every person in the room, you have value. You have purpose. And he sat up in the chair and kind of pushed himself to the front of that chair. And, and he said, if you don't remember anything else that I've ever told you, don't you ever forget that you are valuable and you have purpose. And then he said this. He said, every one of you, God wants to use in ministry. Every one of you, God wants to use to be able to share his love with the world. Every one of you are valuable. It was life-giving. I told that story in the first service. And as soon as I got off the stage, somebody walked to me after I finished telling that story. And she said, I just got a text from Kathy. Her dad just went home to be with Jesus. So don't take it from me as your pastor. You take it from this, this dude who's walked with Jesus almost 90 years all over the place, sharing the love of Jesus with anybody who will listen. You are valuable. You have purpose. And God has a place for you in building lifelong followers of Jesus and pastors. you got to recognize who you are and whose you are. Jesus.